I hear that you like to sing, and karaoke is your thing. What? No, that has to be some joke, really. Who said that? I need to know who said that. Oh, I can't possibly reveal my sources, Kelly. <laughs> okay, and okay. I have to say that in some parties I have done it, but it's I wouldn't say singing is my thing. Uh, we rolled, um, and we finished on the roof, and I was watching this kind of mud and water, plenty of bubbles and dark things, and I just released my my uh, my, my belts, and I felt in the <laughs> in this in this swamp. And actually, I have a very nice page of space notes that I kept in memory, and that is with a kind of splash like this of mud, you know, that happened during this uh, this roll. And I really kept it in a frame, into a frame. Uh, that's a very nice memory for me because that's like in the in, in the movies, you know. <laughs> Welcome to WRC Backstories, our exclusive World Rally Championship podcast, presented by Bex Williams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to WRC Backstories Bite Size. Why bite size? Well, today's podcast is slightly shorter than our usual epics, but it is just as full of rallying stories as ever. This time, we're heading into the world of Formula One to catch up with a man who has spent the last 20 years within F1 and circuit racing ranks, but his roots are firmly planted in rallying. He worked alongside Timo Salonen, Carlos Sainz, Colin McRae, as well as a wealth of other drivers across many projects, one of them leading the programme to build the new Ford Focus WRC back in the late 90s. Gunter Steiner, now head of the Haas Formula One team, has generously given up some time in his busy schedule to talk about his rallying background, and I'm delighted that he's decided to do so. Again, with almost every interview, I wish we could talk for far longer. And Mr. Steiner talks with such passion and eloquence about rallying motorsport that I really wanted to push it further here. And we did, as we'd already run out of time, but we just kept going. Anyway, I hope you're going to enjoy it. Many of you have probably seen a lot of him on Formula One's Drive to Survive Netflix programme. But now it's time to find out where the love of motorsport comes from. We've given him the big build-up in the intro and I'm now delighted that we can cross over to Gunter Steiner, who is team principal of the Haas Formula One team, but his roots are very firmly in the rallying world. What an absolute pleasure it is to sit here today and to be able to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining me. Where are you in the world right now and how are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm in the North Carolina and United States uh, in the moment that I'm doing well, getting ready for Singapore. Oh, yes, that's not too long away. And I'm sure it's going to be a, a busy end to the season for you. Now, on the WRC Backstories podcast, we have talked to, to many, many people, drivers, co-drivers, engineers, team principals, Malcolm Wilson, who you will know very well from your past, of course. And I might have spent 30 minutes on the phone to him earlier, getting your backstory from him. Uh, we'll come to that a little later, though. But <laughs> <laughs> we like to delve back into the past, where people have come from, because statistics and numbers on a screen telling me how many events you've participated in and what successes you've had are not the real picture of the man, woman, whoever we interview are, is. So I would really like to start this podcast by asking you to describe yourself using just three words. They can be interlinked or they can be completely separate. Well, three words. Mm -hmm. I, you know, <laughs> uh, passionate, yeah. driven, and dedicated. Good words, good words. A lot of people use the passionate and I think everyone who's it, well, in ever, whatever job you're in, if you haven't got a passion for it, there's no point doing it really, is there? No, uh, nobody would be sitting here with you if you're not passionate about it, because <laughs> motorsport is, uh, a lot of people think it's just nice and glamorous, but you need to have the passion. Otherwise, you cannot do this if you don't want to do it, and you don't have the passion. Otherwise, oh, you can do it, but you will not be successful or you will not make a career out of it because you need to put a lot into it. Yeah, you certainly do. But tell me, Gunther, where, where does the passion come from? And I, I want to take you back to your childhood here. 
when you you went when you were in school when you were growing up was there always a passion for cars for motorsport did it begin back then or was it later no it be, it began right there i mean i don't know where it comes from uh, uh it, it just i always loved cars and i always loved racing cars as a, as a child you know and uh, uh, where I come from, uh, originally, there is no motorsport at all. It's actually forbidden motorsport. It's one of these regions, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when I was a kid, there was one race which was allowed to happen. It was a hill climb. Uh, uh, and uh, I always begged my father to take me there. It was about a half an hour drive. At the time, maybe 45 minutes, because uh, uh, the roads were not as good. But uh, uh, it's just like he came from there. I don't know. No family connections, nothing, you know. Uh, just out, out of the blue and uh, I just loved uh, cars and racing cars. It's amazing because some of the most successful people I've spoken to, especially from a rallying background, Sebastian Loeb, for instance, Sebastian Auger, none of them had a motorsport background. Nobody in the family was interested in motorsport. It just developed through through following it on TV or, or by, by chancing on an event somewhere. And that, that's quite incredible to me that, you know, it, there has to be then a real passion, a real drive. To, to be interested in it and to move forward in a career. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and then I, I think also uh, uh, circumstances, lucky circumstances, got me a job in motorsport because, as I said, where I come from, there is nothing. I mean, for uh, in a radius of 300 Ks, there is nothing uh, done in motorsport, or maybe a little bit less, but not nothing serious, you know? So yeah. uh, it's it just like... Uh, uh, to get into it for me was uh, uh, right time, right place, but uh, just uh, sheer luck, you know? I like luck. There is always an element of luck in motorsport. People don't like to believe it, but but there is for, for everything. Take me back, though. I want to know about the school life of Mr. Gunter Steiner, because we know a lot about the life right now. What were you like in school? Were you, were you good in school? Were you an ace student or not? Uh, you know, uh, even people don't believe me. I was pretty good in school, you yeah. know. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but uh, uh, I had... Uh, I, I, I finished every school, uh, uh, I wouldn't say always the best, but uh, in the top three always, you know, and uh, uh, not that I really like to go to school, but uh, it, it, it came easy to me, school, you know, so, but uh, yeah, much I don't, I, people know me, they say, oh, you, you, you cannot have been the, uh, good in school, yeah, I was. <laughs> Why would they say that? <laughs> Yes, I, I never can shut up, you know, I, I could never shut up in school, you know, I always had to talk, but I was still, I was still good, I get uh, 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 good grades anyway. <laughs> Obviously, it's an inquisitive mind that has you never stopping talking, maybe, that's where you can put it. So you leave school, is there a university next, or do you go straight into a, a mechanicing world? What, what was the step from school to, to heading into your first role? Yeah, no, I, I wanted to do something and uh, I, I started an apprenticeship as a mechanic, you know, just as a mechanic on road cars, mm-hmm. uh, went to uh, the apprenticeship. It was uh, uh, where I come from. It's pretty good. The, the school system, you go to school and you work, you know, uh, you do it both together. And I did that one. And when I finished that one, I had to do my national service. Uh, and then when I got back from the national service, I didn't really know what to do next, really. And then I went back to work and then Somehow I ended up in motorsport. I, I, I replied to an advert uh, uh, for Mazda Rally Team Europe in Belgium. I've, I was 21 at the time. Yeah, 21 at the time. And I just moved to Belgium. I mean, that was an interesting period for, for Mazda at the time because you had the, the Group B monsters, which, which everyone you know seemed to love, but obviously were ruled out eventually because of the safety levels but you joined when they were making a transition from Group B to Group A. So you were a mechanic at that point within the team, yes? Correct, yeah. And it was exactly that time Mazda had a Group B car, but when I was there, they ran it, uh, uh, they just tested it. Uh, and then I think there was the proposal of a Group S, it was called, which never took off, because then it was switched to Group A. And that's what we were doing. We were building the first Group A's for uh, the 87 championship. I mean, it was quite an incredible when you when you look at the names of, of people that were involved within the team at the time, you know, and, and a lot of people will know that it, Timo Salonen, there was Hanu Mikkola's name, Ingvar Carlsson, who was who was involved as well. Big names within rallying and an interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, give me a bit of, you know, your thoughts, your memories from from joining that team and and being exposed to, to people like that. 
think for me, uh, uh, when you start off and, and never worked in motorsport, uh, it was like a dream coming true, you know, and uh, I, I moved to a different country. It was not only the, uh, uh, the exposure to these big guys, because when you're 21, and that was a long time ago, uh, 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 the world was going a lot slower, you know. So uh, uh, I moved to a, a different country. Uh, I, I, my English was non-existent, you know. It's still not not good. I know that, but uh, at the time it was non-existent. My English, and I had to learn that one just by by doing it, you know. And then uh, uh, starting to work on on race cars, which was for me, I, I at the time I thought I would never achieve that, you know. And I could work on race cars, and I really enjoyed. It. And uh, uh, I think I learned a lot. And uh, living, I mean, obviously I was in the in the national service, and you are living alone, but you are not living alone because everything is regimented. But uh, living alone, making your own decisions, it was all new for you. So it was not only the racing new; it was my whole my whole world opened up. You know, uh, mm -hmm. also as an individual, you know, I had to live on my own. I had to find a house. Uh, I, I it, it was a, a very exciting time for me. But then being exposed to people like Timo and uh, Ingvar and these people, it was like for me, oh, is this real or not? You know. But uh, it was real, and uh, you, you just keep on working. And we had there was a lot of work going on. You know, people think oh, it was all uh, glamorous and nice, but we worked day and night at the time. You know, because uh, there was a lot to be done. It was a small team. It was a small team, and you know, I've done when I've looked back at that team, it didn't seem to have full-on manufacturer support from Mazda. It did eventually, but it, it seemed at first that. You know, not that they weren't interested, but there was limited support. I, I think I think it was supported uh, uh, from Mazda, but as you say, it was not. Uh, it was Mazda Altimur, but Achim Warmbold, the, the, he was the owner of the team. It wasn't yeah. Mazda owning the team. Yeah. But in, I think in that days it worked a little bit different. It was the same with Toyota. Ove Anderson owned uh, Toyota, and then he sold it to Toyota. But they got the support. But uh, uh, it was uh, uh, Achim Warmbold which set the team up because he drove for them and then decided. Or, or he drove, I think he drove for Toyota and then decided to set up a team with some with another manufacturer and got financing from them. But I think it was just like uh, different different business models uh, at that period uh, in time. When I spoke to Malcolm Wilson earlier, I think he set me up a little bit here, but he told me to ask you about Mr. Warmbold. And he, he told me to ask you, did he ever foam at the mouth? Did he ever get angry? Oh, I, I think Michael knows him very well because he, he <laughs> yes, gave it he when the sun was driving. Yeah, yeah, it was always very, very strange. He started to sweat on his upper lip when he got excited, you know, Achim, you know, it, it was a weird thing. Oh, yeah, better, better to leave now. Uh, yeah, he could get very emotional about things. And, you know, for me at the time, it was I, I, I was a mechanic, you know, so I had actually not a bad relationship with him, I must say, you know, because mm -hmm. I was already there. I said, I spoke my mind, you know, uh, good or bad. I mean, I had an opinion and uh, no, it's just like I always said it. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes he was happy about it, but uh, uh, he actually came to talk with me. I don't remember when it was. It was a long time afterwards. It was the first focus time. He was at one rally and he came over to me and uh, he chatted with me and said, I remember you when you worked for me, you know, long time ago. And uh, uh, so, but uh, I haven't seen him now maybe for 20 years so. Yeah, of course, his son was, you mentioned his son there, Anthony Vaughnbold, was, was driving for a little while in the, in the mid-2000s as well with Malcolm. Um, how much do you feel you learned at that time? Because as you said, you were kind of a yeah, fresh mechanic going into that team, and that team did have success. How much do you feel you learned while you were there? I, I, I think I, I would say, uh, you know, uh, being getting into motorsport from nowhere without any history motorsport for me it was as i said before all new but i think i always try to learn as much as possible i still try to learn every day you know i say, i just say to people the day when i say i've learned it all i know it all uh, 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 you get overtaken you need to keep on motorsport is moving so fast and uh, uh, but a lot of other industries i'm not saying only motorsport in general you always need to be open to learn more because otherwise you fall behind so i mean but obviously the, 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 the first year in motorsport, it was coming, I, I was taking it in with the funnel, you know, because everything was new for me. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the living, uh, working in a team, in a sports team and stuff like this, it was like, uh, but uh, for sure, uh, and, and I know Mr. Warmbold, uh, uh, as much as he, as a character, uh, some people love him, some hate him, you know, and uh, uh, who I am to judge that one, uh, it's like, 
he put the effort in to make it happen because he had to, you know, and it was a, a difficult times for him as well. It wasn't easy for him as well. But at the time, I did, obviously, I didn't realize because I was not on the level, on the managerial level. I was just doing a job making, uh, making race cars. Did you have aspirations, though? You know, you're working as a mechanic in this team. Did you have aspirations to go further then? Did you think this is, this is the world I want to be in? This is somewhere I want to propel myself forward? Yeah, uh, I would say, but I, I never had in mind, I need to do this, I need to do that to get to this position. It all, it always happened. It's, it's mm. a, a lot of people ask me, but how did you set, how did you end up being a team principal? I, no, I never thought about it, you know. I, I always did the next step, you know, and uh, uh, obviously I, I'm a big believer. If you do a good job, somebody will see it, you know, and uh, you get the next opportunity. And I tell that to a, to a lot of, of my guys, which worked for me. Guys, do not come with a preset mind. I want to have this position because then you, you, you put yourself in a tunnel. You know, you cannot get out of it anymore. Uh, yeah. Keep your vision open and then just see because people, if you do a good job, will, will see it, you know. And that happened to me, you know, so I, I just worked along and uh, I stayed in motorsport. Yeah, I, I, but you've had such success, at, but such variation as well in, in your career, which, you know, not a lot of people can say. A lot of people do exactly the same thing year in, year out and don't really move on, whereas you have very much moved up. Going back to those days that you move on from, from Mazda to Top Run, um, and a, a different team, a different challenge again, very much focused on Group N, yes? Correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was it like then, you know, the decision-making processes between moving around the jobs that you were in at the time? Because you, you're saying, you know, you, you cut, it just happens, you're just moving on, but there must have been someone coming to you going, Gunter, I want you, or you're looking out thinking, that's the next opportunity. I would say with Top Run, I, I got to know these people in the racing field, and uh, uh, I didn't, uh, the, the biggest thing was I didn't like to live in Belgium anymore. I was there two years, you know, and I wanted to change, you know. So I said, I want to go What's back. wrong with Belgium? Are you living in Belgium? What? <laughs> <laughs> I, nothing is wrong with Belgium. I mean, I don't want to offend Belgium, but I, 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 I said, oh, I want to do something different, you know. I was done with Belgium, you know. So I moved back to my place. And uh, as I said, there is no job there in motorsport. So. Uh, in the in the end, I said, oh, I go freelancing, and I knew these people, and they had plenty of work. So mm. I, I spent maybe uh, eight months on the road, and the rest I spent at home, which wasn't a bad uh, uh, choice when you're 23 years old, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, it was uh, quite exciting. And uh, I, I did that. I think I, I worked for them for four years. I think it was for four years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a varied time with different drivers, different projects. Before you move on to to maybe something which I think that people who are listening who have a huge rally history when they hear the words the Jolly Club will it sparks such an, a, a romantic time maybe if you could even put it like that in in rallying but it brings back such incredible memories and visions of, of the Lancias and the Martini liveries and everything around the Jolly Club but you kind of joined it a little bit later on in the early 90s yes am I right? Yeah, you are right. I uh, I think I joined it early nineties. Yeah, I think nineteen ninety one. I don't remember exactly when I joined them. Yeah, but uh, I joined. But also, I, I was always freelancing. But I spent a lot of time in Milan on the weekends. I went back to my home place. But uh, uh, I was a jolly club uh, four or six years. I don't remember six years. Six years. So it was nineteen ninety that I joined them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were an incredible team which which had a, such a i think an impact when you look back at, at what they achieved such sad circumstances as to why you know everything fell apart but a huge place in in rallying history did you feel that when you were there yeah i, I mean as you say uh, um, at the time between lancia and jolly club there was two there these two big uh, things in Italy happening in rally lancia was winning everything and mm. jolly club uh, you know jolly club was like uh, we basically worked for Lancia on a, uh, on a contractual basis, you, you know, and also then uh, a Jolly Club did some European championship, Italian championship. We did a little bit of everything, but it was it was a very busy time. It was a very good time. As you say, everything in Italy, uh, a Jolly Club, 
as a national team, it, it, it was the biggest one. Obviously, Lancia was there, the big, the big corporate, uh, uh, which went to for the World Championship, and Jolly Club helped along uh, a lot with it. But it was not present really there. It was not visible. It was present, but not visible. But uh, in uh, in 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 Europe and and Italy, we were very well visible. Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic time. And again, you know, iconic cars iconic drivers talk to me about where you were sitting in all of that though because you've come from from mazda you've done top run you're mechanicing in mazda top run still a mechanic or moving more into I engineering did a little bit more a little bit but it was group n you know so it yeah. was less people so you had to do more not because you wanted <laughs> <laughs> you weren't tasked you just had to manage yourself you know uh, uh, you were a manager but of yourself basically you know <clears throat> How much did the engineering side of things really kind of work your brain, as in motivate you? Yeah, uh, that motivated me, and and, and also uh, uh, like with Jolly Club, I I did always because I wasn't uh, employed and I wasn't living in Milan. I was a lot on the road. I did uh, recces and testing all the time, and then the races. I was just mm. around the world all the time. I mean, in some wow. years I was away. Uh, I mean, I did one year. I was with Carlos Sainz Senior. Uh, two, three weeks ago, uh, we had dinner together. We were invited to dinner together and we spoke about, uh, I think it was 91 or 92 that Carlos drove for Jolly Club, the Lancia. And I spent 200 days in a year with Carlos Senior, you know, because, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I said. I mean, you know, uh, I'm a little bit damaged because spending 200 days with you, yeah, that, that leaves traces, you know. So, but uh, uh, th that was the time. I mean, Recchi was not like now that I don't exactly know the rules in the moment, but I think they can make one or two passes. And Carlos explained to me that they are filming everything and they are doing it all uh, back in the hotel or, or, or a base that they look in to do the Recchi. Uh, uh, it's very sophisticated. Now, in the old days, you just uh, run over as many times as you wanted. And then it closed a little bit down. You know, you couldn't do the two or three weeks anymore. It went down to days. But uh, at that time, it was still wide open. So sometimes you went, uh, you were at one place for three weeks between Recchi testing, testing the race car and then going doing the, the rally, you know. So uh, uh, it, it was quite uh, consuming, but I worked a lot, but uh, not in the workshop. So and also when you went Recchi in that time without cell phones, without support from the team, if there was something wrong with the car, you better fix it yourself. You know, there was nobody there. You could call up and say, hey, send a path with UPS or DHL when you were in Greece or in Africa somewhere. Either yeah. you fixed it or you stood still. And if you stood still, the driver wasn't happy. That normally meant you didn't have a job anymore when you got back, you know. So <laughs> it was a little bit more cutthroat, but it was it was a good challenge, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge challenge. And it I love hearing the stories of this time because it, it's so much more, like you say, without mobile phones, without all the technology that everyone uses today. Like you mentioned onboard cameras there. So the drivers have two passes of the recce now. That's it. But as soon as they're back at the hotels, that's all they do is watch the onboard cameras. And what's happened is part of the social side of of rallying has disappeared because the drivers are just in their rooms. And Sebastian Loeb was lamenting on this recently. He said, ah, you know, this is, you know, this is not, it's not right. People are missing out on actually, you know, having dinner together, speaking together, which when, when you're spending 200 days a year with Carlos Sainz, I'm sure there were a lot of dinners consumed there. Yeah, uh, uh, normally I had to pay for it, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> but that's a, that's an intense kind of period like like you mentioned but you you were still a very young man then you're still in your 20s during all this period so this is this is glorious being away for all this time right absolutely i'm still young i'm uh, 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 <laughs> you know in my, in, in, in my head you know no but as you say when you're young and, and and you love what you're doing this is the best time you can have you know uh, as you say and uh, at the time it was like you were out i mean you didn't know where you're gonna eat you needed to find a restaurant and then obviously if you're doing it a few years you have your, your same hotels you go to same restaurants you go to but uh, it, it, it was it's a very exciting time and you could see a lot of the country which now People misses out on seeing you interacted with the population, you know, because uh, there was no social media. If they saw a rally car, they stopped and talked with you. You know, that was uh, that was how you socialize, not not over a cell phone like you do now. So, I mean, uh, we, we, all, we, we always I think it's always been 
I'm not saying always was good in them days, but it was different, you know. It's different now. People now can consume a lot more. They are much more informed. And there's nothing wrong with that one. But on, on, on a social aspect, uh, as, as uh, Sebastian Loeb said to you, we are missing out in the moment uh, because uh, we, we, we keep ourselves to ourselves because uh, it's the easiest way to do it, you know. So yeah. there is good. There, there was good things at that time and good things now, you know, because uh, it wasn't all easy because if you are young and you have to take decisions which now with hindsight, maybe we shouldn't have taken, but we had to because there, there was no other, uh, uh, you couldn't do it any different. So, you know, uh, it's uh, pros and cons and uh, uh, the world has just moved on, you know. Yeah, it definitely has. If you were to take your your kind of abiding memories away from, from certainly your time in, in the Jolly Club, what, what would they be? I mean, that year with Carlos Sainz, it, it, it was very... Uh, educational for me because uh, I, I, I want to say he's he's a professional. You know, I learned a lot about discipline, how to conduct yourself, how to uh, uh, how to work hard to achieve something. Because he never missed a beat, the guy. You know, he was the first one up in the morning and the last one to bed. You know, he was there all the time, and he's still the same now. I mean, and uh, I'm not saying that uh, because I, I just know it. And his kid is very similar. I speak with uh, with his son as well. You know, and uh, we always joke about the father. You know. Yes, uh, and he's going back to do the Dakar. He starts again like in the old days. He's the first one up, the last one to bed, you know, just working out. But uh, th there was a lot of things also winning the Italian championship uh, with, the, with the escort. You know, that was a great time because we were dominating. You know, it, it was quite a domination. Once, once we got in the groove with that car, we were dominant, uh, dominating with uh, Kunico, with Franco driving the car. He was very good. He was a fantastic driver and, uh, uh, you know, working with... Uh, Claudio Bortoletta, I think he's a little bit of a, a legend in rallying in Italy for sure. So uh, he's some character as well. So, uh, you know, it's, I think at the, I would say at a good time, but uh, I must say I had a good time wherever I worked. There was very few, few things uh, uh, which I did, which I didn't like, because then I didn't do them. I mean, put it this way. I mean, uh, it's always, if I didn't like something, I, I, I tried it, but then I said, this is not for me. Uh, I need to move on here and do something different, you know. Give me an example of that then. What what did you try that you didn't like? I mean, I called off a few rallies uh, with Frederick Skokak. That wasn't my thing. I said, oh, I don't like really this thing, you know. Uh, it's it's one of the things. I did two or three rallies with him, and uh, it was nothing. It's not because of him. It's just like I didn't like the this job because you, you have actually no control of anything, in my opinion, you know. Mm. Uh, uh, and some people like that, you know, this uh, a lot of preparation and things like this. But uh, and you make a difference. I'm not saying that the cold driver doesn't make a difference, but that wasn't my thing, you know. Sometimes it's just like there's no real reason why it is not your thing. It's just I don't like this, you know. I need to do something different. Uh, but otherwise, I, 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 I like most of what I did in life. Uh, what about behind the wheel? Was there ever any... No, no you're talent. shaking your head No here. talent. I know that. I know my limitations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I went in once with Timo Salen at Mazda and could uh, saw what he can do with the car. I said, I'm, I, I'm not even... You know, first, no talent and no money. You know, put it this way. So th that stopped my driving career. But I realized that I didn't even try, you know, I didn't waste any money uh, or anything on it. I just knew that is not my thing. No, that's fair enough. That is fair enough. Um, Malcolm Wilson obviously kind of appeared around the Jolly Club times as well um, for you. Was that the kind of first time you, you met him in the early 90s, 94, maybe? No, no, I met him before. Uh, I met him before Jolly Club when I was out wrecking because he was then doing some world championship events, you know, and as we said before, we, it was more of a click. Everybody wrecked uh, it for weeks, you know, and then you end up in the same hotel and and you speak and you get to know each other. And and I, I, met, him, I, I met him then. Uh, uh, and then obviously uh, when, when Jolly Club uh, got the fourth program for Italy, for fourth of Italy, uh, it, uh, we went to Malcolm to do the cars and, and I, I was... The main point of contact uh, uh, there because I knew Malcolm, I knew his organization. So there we, there, there is where we got closer. You know, we know each, uh, each other from before, but there we got closer. He said to me this morning um, when I spoke to him that you haven't changed at all from from when he met you back in the day. Um, he feels you're exactly the same, and he said that in the mid '90s when you came over to the UK, when you came over to work for ProDrive. And he'd spoken to David Richards and he'd said to David, you know, Gunter Steiner is, is your man.
but he said, be aware, if I have any projects, I want him. <laughs> so you were a man who was in demand, you know, and, and that must be very flattering, I guess. But Malcolm said to me that he knew that you would be the man that he wanted to work on on his Ford project because you were you knew everything there was to know about rallying. You were super organized and you were incredibly determined, which is a word you used to describe yourself earlier on. So you was you were the perfect package for him, essentially. Flattering words he said about you earlier, but he also said that you probably still swear about as much as you did back then. Yeah, I, I mean, it's flattering. And, and you know, Malcolm, I, I, I owe a lot to Malcolm where I got in life. People say, but when you get a big break, I think uh, Malcolm uh, uh, got to know me when, when, when I was managing the, the fourth project for Jolly Club. You know, he got to know me better and he know the effort I put in to make it work and, and all that stuff. And Malcolm is, I mean, look at his business. He's, uh, uh, what he put up, uh, it's, you know, it's something uh, almost not describable how, how nice it is, you know, what he put up there from coming also from uh, nowhere, you know. So, uh, and uh, when we work together, when, when uh, he told me, David has got, David Richards has got, uh, uh, this thing going with the customer team and he said if you want to move on in your career you need to come to the uk you know he was the guy which actually told me because this is one of the things you know you feel comfortable at jolly club and uh, and then obviously jolly club a few years late, later closed down and and he he saw where, where the opportunities uh, were and he explained that to me and then he said hey uh, i mean this would be the uh, a good job for for you to move into uh, to uh, to move to the uk and uh, as you know, I, I I went to see David and got the job and 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 moved to England. You know, and I would say I always I was never uh, scared of taking a risk because I always said if it doesn't work, I go and do something else. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not uh, you know I'm not staying down. You know, I come back. And uh, another guy said that always to me was Nicky Lauda. I said you always come back. You're worse than me. You know, he said you always make it back. You know, when I came back into Formula One with Haas F1. You know, uh, and 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 Michael knew what. Uh, what to do and then I mean I'm sure he told you end of that year uh, he got the fourth contract and for me it was no uh, I, I didn't even have to think about it yeah whatever you know and uh, started there you know from nothing again you know but uh, for me the challenge that was always what I liked you know I think I, I, I was not afraid of taking risks and that and you know essentially even for Malcolm as well that was you know, it was a big risk to get the Ford contract to start developing a brand new car with, with the Ford Focus with such a small team. And, and people, I think, you know, even today don't quite realise how small it was back then because such success came of it. You're going to explain to me, Gunter, how small it all was, though. Um, talk to me about Malcolm first calling you or however you did it and asking you to be part of the project. I don't know how it happened because uh, when I worked at Polaf, I sometimes went up the lake to stick to stay with Malcolm on the weekend two or three times a year. So I, I don't know when he told me. I, mean, he, I knew what was going on. And, and then uh, one day he said, hey, uh, uh, you want to do this? I, I getting this job. And I think um, he still had to run the escort program uh, uh, in the World Championship and doing this new car. And I, I think he was a little bit as well, like, how do I going to do this one? You know, and. I would say he he trusted me, which which is the uh, the biggest compliment somebody can give you, trusting you, you know, because he didn't interfere on a daily basis. You know, we spoke always, we stayed friends, and I always did, and he knew that there was, uh, if somebody wanted to make it happen, I will make it happen, you know, if it was possible, you know. So we started in, in uh, I, I lived in Oxford. I mean, I started, I think, in December. Uh, and uh, we didn't have an office or a workshop, nothing. We had no people. And I just started, I started out of my rented uh, living room to call up people, to call up trying to find a facility and all that stuff. And, and we did it. And the team was very, very small, as you say, in total at the end. I think we were about 10, 12 people. But uh, there was a, a, a designer, uh, unfortunately, passed away a few years ago. Uh, the, the guy just wanted to make a rally car. His life was all about design. Christian, Christian, Christian Bayer, Bayer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Christian Bayer. He was, the guy was relentless. I mean, the guy is everything. If it couldn't be done, it could be done. I mean, it cannot be done, didn't exist the world for him, you know. We need to do it, you know. So uh, I, re I remember him coming into our radio studio in WRC and I was asking him about designing cars. I remember him draw. he was drawing on a cigarette packet for me, various little different things. And 
yeah, he blew me away. He was very dedicated. Yes, yeah, very dedicated. And, and he's one of the guys we found. He was in the second line at Toyota and he wanted to do something. He wanted to make a difference. And this is the, this, this is the guy, guys we found, you know, we had a few mechanics there, uh, 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 a few engineers which helped. But, uh, you know, and then obviously at that time, uh, we had to have a car ready in eight months. And it was a new regulation, WRC regulation. And you, you can imagine all the naysayers and uh, all, all the, and I don't know, because you have to ask Malcolm, if, uh, maybe maybe he told you uh, how many people told him this will never happen, you will fail with this. We were ready. We, we were at the Monte Carlo. Eight we got disqualified, by the way, but hey. <laughs> oh, let's not <laughs> talk about, about the water pump. Yeah, exactly. Don't worry about, about the details. That. Forget about the details, yeah. So forget about but the eight details. months, that's... That's in no time at all. You know, you're creating a you're creating a team. You're creating a brand new rally car, as you say, completely new regulations on what was, you know, the Ford Focus. Even as a road car in its time, was quite a dynamic new car, new shape. And then to create that rally car from that, based on a lot of the road car details. Uh, a, a guy in Germany, which was a consultant before, uh, uh, Matthias Horn. He was he was so motivated to help us out, you know, to getting all the parts we need because some of the parts needed to be needed to be uh, uh, from the standard car, like the body shell, and uh, we got all uh, special things made, body shells without brackets and things like this. And I had a good support in Cologne where the car was produced at Ford, you know, Ford of Europe, uh, uh, the, the motorsport manager there, Tyrone Johnson. I mean, these were all people which really, uh, you know, we motivated them. To be part of the team to help us you know that was part of the job because otherwise you cannot do it if, if you just do it uh, as a normal job you couldn't make it make it happen and they were all very motivated uh, to get it done and uh, uh, i mean richard barry jones it was his pet project because he was the he was the guy behind the focus road car which was a switch from the escort to the focus so he wanted to make it very successful you know mm -hmm. so we got a lot of support and uh, uh we got it done. I don't know how, if you ask me now, I think, you know, it's just, I mean, this, this guys did almost a miracle, you know? What? Well, not these guys, you guys, you were leading yeah, yeah, this project. Yeah, you know, yeah uh, we did that. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't pick that job up again. I can tell you that that was like, whoa. But it must have been after all that hard work and intense work, I can imagine. I, I'm sure Christmas didn't happen that December for anyone prior to no. <laughs> no. I think we were testing. I think we were testing in, in Europe somewhere, you know, because yeah. then the testing started and uh, no, it, it was a very uh, intense, but it was fun, you know, uh, part it was fun because we, we everybody wanted to prove something, you know, and mm -hmm. I think Michael himself as well, that he was just uh, not just a team which can race a car. He has got a company which can make a car, which can develop a car, which can engineer a car. For him, I think it was as well, a big step for for M-Sport, you know, mm. uh, as a company. In terms of your role, you're, you're leading this project effectively. You are getting the people in to create the team. But the engineering brain, how is this working within this project? I, I think the detail, I mean, Christian was, Christian was uh, behind the, the engineering. I mean, uh, uh, that goes to him. I mean, I, I, at the time, I was more involved in engineering than I am now, and I still understand it. But the detail, uh, the, the hard work of doing the detail, that was him. Uh, uh, and uh, Ray Stoker was another guy which was there. Uh, and uh, they were behind. And we had uh, quite a, a few people. James Goodfield, I mean, uh, the electronics, uh, Carl Goodman, you know, these people, uh, all the controls and all that stuff, you know, they, 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 they did the detail engineering work. I mean, I understood what they were doing, but could they do all their jobs? No. Because yeah. they, 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 they had a lot of experience in it. But your strength is coming from within this team, and your strength is the fact that you are pulling everyone together. You are picking all these people, making sure everything is driving forward, which is such a... Uh, maybe an underestimated role because you need that strong head person who is driving everything that's happening. Yeah, and sometimes if, if tough decisions need to be made, you know, and somebody needs to carry them, that's normally that what I did, you know. No, we're going this way, and if it goes wrong, it will be me, you know. And yeah. I, I, it, it's still uh, until today that what I do, you know. Uh, and then sometimes somebody needs to uh, uh, carry the can, basically, you know. It's just saying if it goes wrong. Uh, you know, it stops here, the buck, uh, uh, it stops here, you know, so, and uh, I think having an understanding of 
engineering, uh, mechanics, finances, and HR, you know, this is, I think, where I'm, where I'm best at, you know, saying, you know, this is where we are going. If we get it wrong, we can change still route, but I take the responsibility. So nobody's afraid to do anything. You need to support people in what they're doing, you know, hey, let's go this way. If it goes wrong, we will find a solution. Don't worry, you know, keep on going. So where Malcolm is is based now, obviously in Cockermouth with Dove and B Hall, which has become this incredible, you know, workshop for World Rally Cars and the, the test track that he now has. Back then, it was very, very different. I think you were somewhere else. You were in Millbrook in, in rented premises at the time. And, the, you know, he was up there. It was, it was, it was a bit fragmented. I mean, a lot smaller operation than it is now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dove and Behold didn't exist at the time. Uh, I, I think how it was because we decided to stay in the Midlands because we were closer to Fort, mm. because it was, it was far up there. So, uh, uh, but, but it, uh, and Malcolm knew that he needs to put up this engineering business as well. And he was focusing on getting the future ready. You know, he, his big vision was to have M Sport as an engineering company. And he found the premises of Dove and Behold, which was a mental hospital before, mm. and then started from there. Uh, and while we were developing the car, but once I think. After two years in Millbrook, we went up to uh, to, to uh, Dovenby Hall as well. Everybody moved up there when that was ready. So if, if, I think for Malcolm, it was the growth of the company was the engineering side to develop the focus that was done from the people in Millbrook. But he was looking after the big picture where he wanted to be in five or 10 year times at the time, you know, and where he ended up to be, to have this, this fantastic facility with very good engineering and then uh, and a good car, because I think the focus uh, also made a little bit what M-Sport is now. It was the first big project he had, you know, and uh, it's still ongoing, that project, you know, obviously now it's the Fiesta, but it's still fourth state lawyer to him because he always did a good job for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and aside from obviously the, the car, the, the team behind it, you had to have the, the driver and, and the driver of choice, which, you know, everyone had been targeting, but Malcolm got was Colin McRae, um, who was an incredible driver. And, but for me, more from interviewing him, his personality, I absolutely adored because he was, well, you never quite knew what he was going to do next. There was always this kind of, feeling of jeopardy with with Mr. McRae how did you find him yeah exactly the same I mean I got on very well with Colin you know we we, we got friends you know and uh, as you said at the time uh, uh, I think everybody wanted Colin you know obviously uh, there was money but also Colin you know co uh, uh, being a Scotsman money was important for Colin but it wasn't everything and I think Malcolm could convince convince him about the future with him you know because uh, Malcolm was a driver himself, so he could explain to Colin where he wants to go, you know, and yeah. that's why I think he joined for because, uh, as you said, everybody, Colin was the man at the time, and uh, I think there will never be anybody, or there is always somebody, but, uh, you know, I haven't seen anybody with the sheer talent what Colin had got at the time, you know, uh, of driving. I mean, uh, it, for him, everything was natural. He didn't need to put any effort into drive a car quick. It just, it just was there. I mean, it's like... Uh, you know, some people can talk a lot like me. He can drive. He can drive fast. You know, uh, uh, it's like you've got some talents. And uh, for him, I think the, the, he was the, 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 the most gifted driver I ever met. Mm. How was he in terms of feedback? You know, after testing a car, how good was he at, at giving back that information to engineers to, to, you know, to help with making it be faster or, or make any changes? Was he good at the feedback? He was pretty good at yeah. saying if some if something didn't work, he was pretty <laughs> if he was pretty good to tell you, you know, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to say the worst, but uh, uh, you know, you know, you know, Colin as well. So he was pretty straightforward. If something wasn't working, it's like I. <laughs> so, uh, but no, uh, it's just like <clears throat> I I don't think he, he uh, you know like with Carlos when Carlos drove for M Sport as well. Mm. Uh, the dedication of doing the thing it was much he put a lot more effort in carlos in doing it for colin everything was natural either it worked or it didn't work you know and then the rest was your problem you know while carlos was going into detail why and why not or i think he's still going into detail why and why not but colin was just like either it was yes or no there was nothing in between or if it was no 
it's your problem now, you know. So, but uh, you deal with this because it was very clear. There was never, I don't really know. No, there was an answer. It was yes or no. It was black or white, you know. So, uh, but uh, otherwise, uh, uh, you know, if, if you had a good test, it was the, it was very enjoyable to test with my, uh, with Colin. But uh, if the test was uh, was badly, it was the least enjoyable test you can do because he was just pissed off, you know, because mm. he thought he was wasting his time. Yeah. I mean, success came. I know we, we talked about Monte Carlo and, and the disqualification, but Safari Rally was the, the first win. How was that? How was the feeling of that, considering everything had been done in a very short space of time? Everyone had worked their butts off, missed Christmas, and then you get a success at probably the toughest challenge on the championship calendar. Did that give it all back, all that time that had been taken up? Was that kind of repaid with that win? I think it took us a few days or weeks to realize what he actually achieved uh, at that time, because Safari at that time, it was different than, than it is now. I mean, I haven't been to the latest one, but uh, it was open roads. It was just like uh, you need to keep on going, you know, and uh, I mean, we put a, a tremendous effort in uh, uh, also logistically to rebuild the, the dump post because we didn't have enough spare dump post because of the shortage of time, you know, uh, people, we had night shifts to rebuild dump posts, to put them back on the car and things like this. It was, oh yeah, it was helicopters flying dump posts around and it was like, and then I think we were just dominating that rally. I mean, you know, it was just like... Uh, uh, it, it was a 15 was, minute so, advantage win, wasn't it? I exactly. Think. Yeah, it was like it was like, wow, it was never in jeopardy. It was like something you, you dream of, you know, but you realize it only quite a while later how good it was, you know. And uh, as, as you said, it, it made up for all the time we spent because winning the safari and I was down there uh, a lot with lunch and the before them days, you know, testing. Uh, I, I always, when I was a jolly club, we, we, we had to do the tests and the recce. So I was sometimes down two months in, in Africa uh, uh, in, in the early 90s. So for me, it was like, you know, something I wanted to do. And, you know, and uh, we got there with the car. We built, we designed and won the safari on the first outing. It was uh, fantastic, you know. And there was a big opposition because Mitsubishi's were not, they, they won it the years before continuously, you know. They were very solid and uh, we just took it away from them with a new car. So it was, a, it was very, uh, you know, nice to do that. Was that the highlight of the time with Ford or was there another? No, I think we had, we had quite a, a, a few good, uh, good years, you know, so we call in there. There's, it, it's, it's one of the highlights because, uh, uh, you know, we, we had uh, disasters as well when we, when we stopped in China with uh, two cars. I think it was the first stage, both cars stopped one, one after, or it was the same year. Uh, one after each other and we had to fly home you know but but in general it was just it, it was just a, a a very exciting time more more than because the success came uh, uh the disappointments came you know it was just like everything was new and uh, we were we were young you know just that time that that time with ford as you said there were more successes and colin almost won the championship in 2001 wales rally gb i was there that was one of my first when well, 99 was my first gb and I did one event a year and then full time from 2002. And I remember being utterly gutted for, for Colin then in, in that year. I can't imagine how you guys felt because he was so close to the driver's title that year. Yeah, and uh, uh, as I said, you knew Colin and he wanted to win every stage. Mm. He just wanted to dominate it. That was Colin, you know, that was, I'm going to win every stage just to make clear who is the world champion. Because he was so convinced that he's going to win it. Yeah. It's like, but that is the determination Colin had, you know, it's like, yeah, it didn't go, it didn't go well. Uh, and we lost the world championship. Obviously, that was a disappointment. But uh, I would say we had such a good momentum going. So, yeah, we lost this one, but we're going to win the next one. You know, it was like, it was not like, oh, now we're all crying. No, it was like, yeah, we almost won it. We, we, I, I think he was the, he was the winner in the end, you know, obviously he didn't get the title, he didn't get the trophy, but he was dominating the championship, you know, mm. so, and, and that we took that one away and said, here we go again, let's go again next year. But for you, it was changed because you were heading into Formula One territory at that time with, with Jaguar then, and, and Formula One has been the place for the, the past 20 years, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll continue to do so, and you've had quite an incredible career. Gunter, if you, if you, Look back on it on it now. What it, what has been what has been the strength from your side? Do you think for your success? 
I think the ability to make uh, uh, decisions pretty quick, you know, and obviously, I, I guess I got some some of the decisions I made right, you know, <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't be here anymore. But uh, it, it's 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 uh, it's just like and always understanding motorsport, understanding how it works from the bottom up. I don't see it from the top down. I see it from the bottom up. What what I'm doing, you know, I see. You know, I can tell people what to do from from top down. I can tell them, but I need to understand what the bottom needs. You know, and the bottom is getting the race car out on track. You know, that is what I do. You know, and uh, you need a lot of things to put in place. But I understand most of the things we are doing. You know, and because I come from a, a, a I came up as a mechanic. You know, and I can speak with a mechanic like I can speak with the CFO or the production manager. Uh, it's like I, I, I've got enough understanding of everything that, that nobody, <clears throat> excuse me, that I, I would say it's very difficult to fool me, you know, in motorsport, you know, no, nobody can tell me uh, bollocks, you know, uh, as you say, you know, so it's like, yeah, we are saying this, but it isn't really this. I, uh, and, and people, when they know me, they, they don't try to tell me stories, you know, uh, and, and I think that's the good thing, I think, and I just have a good understanding, I, I think I'm, I've done a lot. I know a lot of people. Uh, you know, I respect a lot of people, and I think I got uh, respect from a lot of people as well. You know, so uh, I think there is uh, reciprocate things, and that, that that I think, and 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 I'm not the guy which always wants to be uh, on top of everything. You know, look at me. No, I'm, I'm like I, I love what I'm doing, and as I said before, if I don't like what I'm doing, I do something different. It, yeah. it sounds maybe almost arrogant, but it 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 shouldn't be. You know, it's not. It's like because if. I don't want to do it i'm sure i'm not doing it well you know so wh wh why continue to, to to be a pain to myself and to other people so i just try to do the best i always can and always be honest about things you know if something is bad i cannot talk it good you know we need to it's bad how gonna be how are we gonna fix it you know that's always clear focus you know not like okay it's bad but if we talk a little bit it can be good no if it is bad it's bad you know so being honest to yourself as well I think those are very wise words to live by. Final question for you, because I think I'd get shot by my listeners if I didn't ask. But could you ever see a world with you ever heading back to rallying at all? Or is Formula One the way forward for you now? I don't know. Never say never. I mean, I, I, I said it before, I never had the plan to be at F1 team principal. Uh, I got there, you know, worked my way there. So I don't know what is coming next. And I'm always... I never say never to anything, you know, it's everything can happen, you know, uh, for me, uh, where there is a challenge or, or an opportunity, I go there, you know, I, I sometimes create my own opportunities, but uh, if there is something which I find interesting, it can be anything, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to do it. That's why I, I don't say, yes, I'm going back to rallying and I'm not going back to rallying. I don't know. It, it's, uh, it's, it's maybe not the answer people want to hear, but that's what it is, you know. Never say never. Gunter, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing some of your rallying stories. I wish we could talk for way, way longer, but you are a busy man. Um, I wish you the best of luck with the rest of your Formula One season and beyond. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Bex. Thank you. For more great World Rally Championship content, head to WRC+. Plus. With its thousands of hours of archive footage and exclusive live programming, event review shows and extensive onboards, special features too on some of the legends of the sport. This is all available at wrcplus.com, the digital online home of the World Rally Championship.